Ah, <laughs> uh, boy, when you see Kat, when you see the workers, just give them a big thank you. They did a great, great job this weekend. been with us over the last few weeks, you know that I've really not been doing very hard work on my sermons. I've been plagiarizing. I've been plagiarizing Jesus. I've been beginning each sermon by just reading verbatim from a portion of one of his great sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of his treatise on the kingdom that he came to announce. And what we've been hearing him talk about over the past couple of weeks is this idea that when he came to announce the kingdom, he wasn't doing away with everything that people had read about God in the Old Testament. He wasn't doing away with all of those things. I'm realizing right now that I never asked the ushers to come forward and receive the offering. Um, and, and I'm thinking, wow, these guys are really attentive. So they're going to do that, but I'm just going to keep preaching as they do it. Uh, Jesus came to announce the kingdom, but he wasn't doing away with the Old Testament. He was fulfilling the Old Testament. Uh, we heard him say, for instance, a couple of weeks ago, avoiding the actual act of committing murder isn't really sufficient in and of itself. Lust is thou shalt not commit murder. But Jesus came to say that our attitude is more important than our actions. Last week, we heard him say avoiding the actual uh, uh, act of committing adultery isn't sufficient. We, as kingdom people, need to learn to stop sin at its source before it grows into some of these transgressions. This week we're gonna hear Jesus give some thoughts on how the way that we speak and the words that we use uh, impacts life in the kingdom. So I'm gonna ask you to do what you've done each of the past several weeks. Just imagine that you are sitting on that mountainside in Judea and you hear Jesus say these words. I'm reading from Matthew chapter five, verse 33, but you can just listen. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for that's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. I want to give you a little bit of a cultural background here. Uh, Jesus uses three different terms in that passage. He talks about oaths. He talks about vows. He talks about swearing. Now, he's not saying these things in the sense of cussing or using bad language. He's using the terms more or less interchangeably, talking about the special words that we sometimes use to, to make it clear that I'm absolutely going to follow through on whatever I'm saying. And the idea of, of swearing to something or, or making a vow or taking an oath was very, very common in Jesus's day. And the Old Testament referenced that fact. The Old Testament talked about oaths and vows and swearing in, in many, many different places. But the general idea in the Old Testament is that if you make an oath, you had best fulfill it. If you're looking for a particular verse among many to tie that to, you could write down the book of Numbers, chapter 30, verse 2. It says, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Now, the legal experts in Jesus's day had developed a very, very intricate guide 
as to how significant different kinds of vows were and how big a deal is it or how small a deal is it if, if you break your word or if you break a vow or if you go back on something you promised. How big a deal is that? They kind of were like school children arguing over, well, was it, was it a promise or was it a pinky swear? Because you could go back on a promise, but you'd better not go back on a pinky swear. And so they had kind of these very intricate rules about how that worked. And they, had, they saw a difference in different kinds of oaths. And the most important issue for them was that any oath or any vow that involved God himself was the most significant kind of all. And you better not go back on that one at all. But... If you swore by something other than God, if you swore by something on the earth, well, maybe there's a little wiggle room in that, depending on what exactly it is. Maybe, maybe in extreme circumstances you could break that, or maybe it doesn't really mean anything at all. It reminds me a little bit of the classic Christmas movie, A Christmas Story. Do you remember it with the boys on the playground, and there's the cold flagpole, and there's the question of who's going to put their tongue on the flagpole, and there's the standoff on, on the playground. Well, I dare you to put your tongue on it. Well, I double dare you. And then you escalate it just with the words, you, I double dog dare you. And then they skipped right over the triple dare, didn't they? And they went right to, I triple dog dare you to put your tongue on the cold flagpole. And, you know, the kid wasn't going to do it when he was just dared to do it. But when you get all the way to the triple dog dare, you kind of have to do it. Just by using different words, it makes it more binding. The ancient world saw promises the same way. The language you used indicated how serious you were about keeping your promise, and some promises were more binding than others. But I'd ask you to consider this. Is the modern world really any different than the ancient world in that regard? I mean, if we say it, do we have to promise it? What if we swear it? What if I swear to God that I'm telling the truth? What if I swear on my mother's grave that I, sorry, mom, that I'm telling the truth. Is that more trustworthy than if I just say it? How about just in, in, in the business world? Is a verbal contract good enough? Is a verbal contract binding? If it's binding, if it's not in writing. What if we said it, but we shook hands? Is it more binding if we shook hands or is it not as binding if we didn't shake hands? We have a lot of the same kinds of unwritten rules about how trustworthy our words are. And Jesus, I think, wants us to reimagine the value that our words have in light of the kingdom of God. He begins by taking things a step further than the Old Testament does. And that's what we've seen him do each of the past several weeks, right? You've heard it said, and he references the Old Testament, but he says, but now I'm going to take things a step further. I'm not going to get rid of what the Old Testament says, but I'm going to show you how that can be fulfilled. He's going to take it a step further than the Old Testament. Whereas the Old Testament says that if you make a vow, you, a vow, you had best fulfill it. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. He says, don't bother with vows. Don't bother with oaths or pinky promises or swearing on all that is holy. Jesus says that in the kingdom, there shouldn't be any need to amplify one statement as being more trustworthy than any other. He reminds me a little bit of an old friend I have 
who had a habit and it used to just, it was a pet peeve of mine, you know? This, this buddy of mine had this habit, every once in a while when he really wanted to get your attention, he'd look at you and he'd say, I'll be very honest with you now. And then he'd say what he had to say. And he used to just grate on me because I was like, well, were, you, were you being less honest before? Like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you right now. Well, what happened when you were talking to me yesterday? Sometimes when we say, I mean, it was just words. He was just saying that. He was always honest. I know that. But it used to just bother me when he would say that. Why do we feel the need to identify some statements as being especially credible? That's not how it's supposed to be with kingdom people. Because in the kingdom, integrity is sufficient on its own. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Integrity is all you need. Integrity is sufficient on its own. You should be able to believe me because I have integrity and I'm trustworthy. Not because I told you that I cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle through my eye. That's not the reason you believe me. The challenge for those who are part of God's kingdom is this. How trustworthy are we? For real, how trustworthy are we? How much integrity do we have? Each of the past couple weeks, we've heard Jesus make particular mention of of one of the Ten Commandments. A couple of weeks ago, it was thou shalt not kill. Uh, Just last week, it was thou shalt not commit adultery. In the words that I plagiarized of Jesus' a few moments ago, we didn't hear him refer specifically to any one of the Ten Commandments. But I think that the people listening to him that day would have been reminded of commandment number nine. You can read it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. It says this, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. If you're old school like me and you memorized from the old King James version, it says thou shalt not bear false witness. Now in the Ten Commandments, it's saying you can't say things that aren't true about other people. It's kind of a very specific take on what it is to lie. But as we read through the rest of the Old Testament, that that commandment becomes far much more generalized. As a matter of fact, in the book of Leviticus, it's just put simply this way. Don't lie. Don't lie. (laughs) Don't lie. And the idea here is that in the kingdom, we ought to be able to count on the fact that the words we speak to each other are trustworthy and faithful. Why? Because God's words are trustworthy and faithful. And it's his kingdom. If his words are trustworthy and faithful, then we who belong to the king ought also to speak words that are trustworthy and faithful. And if we can count on that fact, then there's really no need to try to convince each other of our credibility in certain particular circumstances. Our integrity should be sufficient on its own. And that's Jesus's point. In the kingdom, we don't need to talk as the experts in the law did about which vows are more important than which others, which promises get fulfilled and and which don't. We don't need to talk about that because in the kingdom, there's no need for vows to even exist. In verse 37, we heard Jesus say this, all you need to say is simply yes or no. No, yeah, but, 
or, well, I don't think so, or do you love this one from, from today's vernacular? Yeah, no. Yeah, no. No, yeah. <laughs> Our beloved Pastor Rachel used to say that all the time. I would ask Pastor Rachel questions. Hey, are we going to do this you know, thing for, for the core meeting coming up? And she would say, yeah, no. And I would say, I don't know. The, I don't understand what you're saying. You know, I, I wish I had thought of this verse when I was talking with Pastor Rachel. And she's probably watching me today, and I'll get a text from her later. All you need to say is simply yes or no. I can remember being a child and, and asking my parents permission to do something. And when you're a kid and you're talking to your parents, there's so much power in a simple yes or a simple no. It's the end of the conversation, isn't it? Or it ought to be. Yes or no. I actually preferred that they would say more because there was a little more wiggle room in that. I preferred that if I asked them something instead of just a no, I would get out, well, you know, I don't think so because, because now I've got something to litigate. Now I've got something to press back on. Well, well, mom, well, dad, have you considered that blah, 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 blah. Uh, it was so much better than just a straight no. And as a teen, and this is like true confessions from the Martinson family here. As a teen, I got into the habit of asking indirect questions so that I couldn't possibly get just a yes or a no. So for instance, instead of saying, hey, can I stay out late this weekend? I might begin by saying, hey, uh, some of the guys are sleeping over at so-and-so's house, but you know, I don't, I don't think I really want to spend the whole night there, so I'll probably just come home early. See what I did there? My brother Tony's here today. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you see, if you do something like that, open up a little wiggle room. You know, don't get to just a yes or a no. Then there's a discussion to be had. And a discussion is always better than a very quick, simple answer that just stops the conversation before it ever gets started. And that's because there is power and there is authority in a simple yes or a simple no. The Apostle Paul had something, I think, very interesting to say about this to the Corinthian church. And this is many years after Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, many years after Jesus' life. Uh, the Apostle Paul had been writing back and forth with the Corinthians, and they had been expressing to Paul their... Uh, their problem, their frustration with the fact that they were finding that there were people that they couldn't count on, people that changed their minds, yeses that didn't end up being yeses and noes that didn't end up being noes, even Christian people. And it appears that they were even a little perturbed at Paul because at one point Paul had told them, you know, I'm going to come visit you guys. And then plans changed and he wasn't able to actually come visit them. And so they had asked Paul, hey, dude, what's up with that? And Paul, you know, wrote back to them and he explained the problem. He said, here's what happened and here's why I wasn't able to come through and visit you, but I'm writing you this letter instead. And he's kind of going through the whole thing. But then he has an interesting take on this whole issue of yes and no. And I'm going to read it to you. You can find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. Now, what he's saying there is he's not saying that sometimes the message is yes and sometimes is no. He's saying our message doesn't change back and forth. You're asking me about integrity and people saying one thing and meaning the other. He's saying, as surely as God is faithful, 
<coughs> excuse me, our message to you doesn't change back and forth. Why not? For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was not yes and no, but in Him, it has always been yes. In him, it has always been yes, Paul says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ Jesus. He's saying Jesus is the divine yes to everything God has said. He has one more statement here. He says Jesus is always yes. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. You hear what he's saying here? He's saying there is no back and forth. There is no changing. God has made promises. And Christ Jesus is the divine yes to every promise God has ever made. And you know what we are? We are the chorus of echoing amens. God has made the promise. Jesus has said yes. And we say amen. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying there is no back and forth in the kingdom. There is no maybe. There is no yeah, but. There is no yeah, no. No, it's yes in Christ Jesus. And we are the echoes of amen to his affirmative. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law of God. He is God's yes. The Bible calls him the word of God clothed in human flesh. And there's power in that word. And in God's kingdom, we were meant to be the powerfully echoing amens to that powerful word. So for us, integrity is sufficient on its own because kingdom words have power. We don't need to add to them. They they don't need to be supplemented with a I pinky swear it. Kingdom words have power. The kingdom was created, how? By the words of God. He spoke everything into existence. The kingdom was announced or proclaimed, how? By the words of God. Jesus began his ministry by saying, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news. That's the proclamation of the kingdom. Your place in the kingdom was secured by the words of God. Second Timothy chapter three says God's word makes us wise for salvation. That's how you got saved. It was by the powerful words of God in the kingdom. The kingdom advances by the proclaimed words of God. It says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached It will be proclaimed. It will be spoken to the whole world. That's how the kingdom is advancing. The ultimate arrival of that kingdom, for which you and I still wait, will be heralded, according to the book of Revelation, by a writer whose name is the Word of God. And his words, the Bible says, have the power to strike down the kingdom's of this world. And after all of those things take place, Jesus says to us, the heavens and the earth will all pass away, but my words will never pass away. My words will remain. There is power in the words of God. There is power in kingdom 
words, it's no wonder that the author of Hebrews said the word of God is alive and active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. That's the power of God's words. God's words are kingdom words. And the citizens of that kingdom, as citizens of that kingdom, you and I have not merely the ability but the responsibility to speak powerful kingdom words. Can I suggest to you that the reason that the Bible is so clear and takes such a hard stance on the issue of truth telling, it's not because it's the nice thing to do. It's not because it's the moral thing to do and good boys and good girls always tell the truth. It's not because it's mean-spirited to tell even a little bit of a fib. That's not why the Bible takes such a hard stance on the issue of truth-telling. It's because our words have tremendous power and authority. They are the amen echoes to the very words of God. And when we use them improperly, when we use them haphazardly or wrongfully or foolishly, when those things happen, it's like firing a gun into a crowd and then being surprised that somebody got hurt. Our words have power. The truth is all God's people need. Jesus removes any shadow of doubt as he finishes his thoughts in verse 37. He says, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. To say yes or just say no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Why would vows or oaths or swearing, why would all these things be a tool of Satan? Does that, does that, is it just me? Does that feel a little bit extreme to somebody else? Later on in his ministry, Jesus refers to Satan as a liar and the father of lies. You ever wondered why is Satan so obsessed with lying? Well, I think the story scripture tells, tells us that it's because he can't survive the truth. He's obsessed with lying because he can't survive the truth. Insert your own Jack Nicholson impersonation here. He can't handle the truth. And so he speaks fluently in lies. Have you ever noticed that about people? People that can't handle the truth speak fluently in lies. And moreover, Satan, he does it himself, but he invites us to do the same. He invites us to devalue the power in our own speech, stripping it of all of its authority, by qualifying this statement this way and that one this way and saying, well, this is more important than this and that is more important than this. Here's what I think Jesus wants us to realize about how our words work in the kingdom. Integrity is sufficient on its own because kingdom words have power and the enemy knows it. The enemy knows it. Satan is terrified of the prospect that the people of God might someday realize just how powerful our words are. He's terrified of it. And so his trick is to get you to do anything he can to make you forget 
that as a member of the kingdom, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, every word you speak has the potential to be the authoritative, powerful amen to the yes of God, which is Christ Jesus. And Satan doesn't want you to know it. And so he's going to twist your language and he's going to twist your understanding and he's going to invite you to speak differently. He's going to invite you to question what's truth and what's real. He's going to invite you to nuance things and say, yeah, but, or say, well, maybe, or this, or, well, I really mean this, but I didn't actually mean this. He's going to invite you to twist the story just a little bit because he doesn't want you to know how powerful your words are because he can't handle it. He can't handle it. Don't believe me? Look at the rest of Jesus' ministry. He would go on and tell Peter, Peter, the things that you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. The things that you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. I love the way Eugene Peterson has translated that in the message version of the Bible. He puts it this way. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven and a no on earth is a no in heaven. We read that passage and we go, how could that be? Is Jesus really telling Peter, you get to decide what goes on in heaven? That doesn't make sense. Well, no, it doesn't make sense until we remember that uh, Peter, rather, isn't the one saying yes. Peter's just saying amen to what Jesus has already said. Jesus has all authority. Peter's words are to echo the divine amen. We go on and we read that Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out demons and to heal every disease and sickness. He gave them authority in their words. We read that and go, well, how could that be? Do people really have the authority? Can we really do that? And we forget that our words are merely echoes of what Jesus has already said. There There is power in our words. Keep reading if you want. Jesus would tell his followers that a mature faith means the power to speak unto mountains and say, be removed and be cast in the ocean. And he said, and when you do it, it will happen. And we say, well, he must be speaking metaphorically there. He must be talking about this. He must, let's nuance this a little. Let's try and understand. And like Jesus is like, no, you don't get it. Your words have power. And the enemy knows it. And the enemy knows it. Jesus would finish his ministry by speaking to a small group of followers and say, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you and he is going to give you power to be my witnesses. And your words, your testimony is going to transform the entire world. And we sit here 2,000 years later going, well, I just hope I can you know, make a little bit of a difference. And Jesus says, a little bit of a difference Haven't you been paying attention? Your words have power and authority, and the enemy knows it. Church, I want to close today's service with a a word of prayer today. A word of prayer together. But as we go to prayer, I want to remind you that your words have power and they have authority. Hannah, could you give me some music behind me as we just close in prayer together? Your words have power and authority. And so today, this day, maybe this is your habit, maybe this is, that's okay, but today, 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 in light of what we've heard Jesus say, I want to invite you not just to stand and listen to what I say, but I want to invite you to pray with your own words as well. It's a little awkward. I know sometimes to stand in a group and then be like, what, what if Dawn hears me? You know, she's sitting right there in the front. What if Dawn hears me? You know, what if, what if Kim hears me? What if, what if they hear me? I don't even know what to say. 
There's something in your life today that is screaming out for the power of God. Amen. There is something in your life that is begging God to speak into it. And I want to encourage you right now that he has already said yes. He has already said yes. And it's your job to just echo with an amen. It's your job to articulate the powerful word of God over the circumstance, over the situation in your life. I want to begin by telling you this. I want to ask you, do you love Jesus today? Is it your goal, is it your mind, is it your intention to serve him with all of your life and submit your life to him? Now, maybe you've heard that question before and you thought, that sounds nice, but how am I going to prove it because words are cheap? How am I going to prove it because words are cheap? God knows what a loser I am. I can stand in church and say, oh, Jesus, I love you, but I'm going to go home and screw up again. Words are cheap. I want you to cast that that thought out of your mind right now. You just heard Jesus say, words aren't cheap. You've struggled before. Jesus, how am I going to prove it to you that I actually want to follow you? And Jesus says, stop trying to prove it, just say it. Just say it. Stop trying to prove it. Just say it. So maybe in your prayer today, you might want to start by saying, Jesus, I love you. And I'm not going to waste my time or my energy or my effort trying to prove it to you. You know my heart. I'm just going to tell you my heart right now. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I want to serve you. Jesus, I submit my life to you. There are power in these words that I speak right now. I submit my life to you for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom. I want to encourage you in your prayers right now to use your words. I want to encourage you not to listen merely to my words, but speak out. Say, Lord, heal my disease. Lord Jesus, heal my disease. I'm just echoing what you said in Scripture. You said you spoke your word and you healed my disease. I'm just going to echo it right now because there's power and there's authority in that. Lord, heal my disease. Lord, equip me for the calling that you have placed on me. Your word says you do it, so I'm just going to echo it to you right now. I don't need to say anything else. I don't need somebody else to say it over me. You hear my words. Lord, equip me for the life you have called me to, for the calling you have placed on me. Lord, some of you are praying right now. Lord, rebuke the enemy who is attacking me. Lord, rebuke the enemy who is attacking me. You don't have to hide from Satan any longer because the Lord God is rebuking your enemy. He's saying no weapon fashioned against you is going to prosper. Say that with your own prayer. Say that with your own words. There is power in your own words. You don't need to be fancy about it. You don't need to say anything else about it. A simple no is good enough. In this case, is Satan going to prosper over you? Is Satan going to defeat you? 
A simple no is all it takes. Lord, fight my battles. Lord, fight my battles. Lord, teach me how to sit down and let you fight the battle. Teach me how to rest by still waters as you, the warrior God, take battle on my behalf. Lord, vindicate me and put your enemies to shame. Your word says you're going to do it. Your word says you have done it. So you hear me pray, Lord, bring me vindication and put your enemies to shame. It's over with. It's done with. It's complete. You know why? Because there's power in kingdom words. In church, as you're saying, you know, oh, I can see your lips moving right now. I can see you talking. That's okay. Don can't hear you. Kim can't hear you. It's fine. I can't even hear you. But the Holy Spirit can hear you. I see your lips moving. I see it happening. I know it's happening. Hear this right now. Strongholds are crumbling. Amen. Somebody say amen. Strongholds are crumbling. Kingdoms are passing away. Kingdoms with a little K are passing away. Chains are breaking. Lives are being changed because there is authority and power in the words of, of God. And Holy Spirit, you hear our words today, Lord. We aren't making this up. We aren't adding to your yes. We aren't adding to your no. We're saying what you have said. And there's integrity in kingdom words today. Put the enemy on notice that these lies have no place among your people. Put the enemy on notice that his untruthfulness has no place in your kingdom. Put the enemy on notice that what he says to try and tear down will not and does not work. Because you have said so. Because you have said so. Lord, may our hearts always be open to hear the yes that is Christ Jesus. The great yes and answer to all the manifold promises of God that is Christ Jesus. And would you find in your people a chorus of amens saying that's right. We agree, so be it. Do your powerful, powerful work in their lives. Take our lips, Lord, and cleanse them. Cleanse and purify them for your kingdom purposes. We cannot be stopped. Your kingdom cannot be stopped. We are people of that kingdom. We thank you for all of these things in the strong, powerful name of Jesus. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Amen.